in our last week of our August series that we have entitled simply Live Free. And uh, my goal, my heart for this month and for this series is that, that you would be more free by the end of August than you were at the beginning of August. And uh, we're always looking to go to deeper levels of freedom in our life with Jesus. Uh, there's always more freedom to be had in our life. And it's so beautiful because he actually created us to be free. It's all in how we respond to what he has done for us as to whether or not we will actually walk out the freedom that he has given us in our life. So uh, I'm going to be bookending this, this series today uh, for the last Sunday in August. I can't believe it's already almost September. The good news is that means cooler weather is coming. Praise God. And uh, I'm excited about it. So uh, my text verse is out of Ephesians 5. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, please, as we honor God's word together. If you don't have your Bibles, it will be on my, uh, this wall behind me here. Ephesians 5. Verses six and nine, this is the, the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. He says, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. We are called, not only called, but we are free to live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. I want to talk to you today about truth. Um, in fact, I'm going to talk to you about freedom from the lies in our life. The title of my message today is The Truth About Lies. Would you pray with me as we move forward today? Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this wonderful time we have together, God. We thank you for your word. We know that your word is what transforms us. My words are meaningless unless your spirit helps us today, God. So would you do your work in our hearts today, Father? We pray that the seed that is sown in our life would produce the fruit that it was designed to produce. We thank you that your word will not return void, but that it will do the work it was set out to do. Open our hearts to receive it today for your glory. It is in Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, amen. amen. Praise God. You can be seated. So all of us would agree that there are lies everywhere, right? There are lies in books, there are lies in magazines, there are even lies on the internet. I know that's hard to believe, but they're there, right? There are lies in your place of work, there are lies in friendships, there are even lies in marriage, right? And God forbid it, but it's, it's true, there's even lies in the church. There's lies everywhere, all the time, and some of them are, are worse than others, some of them have a, a bigger effect on us than others. Some are more superficial. In fact, there's, there's certain situations where lying is actually condoned. It's actually okay. If someone cooks a meal for you and asks you how it is, it's okay to lie. Right? If your spouse asks you how they look, if a sick person asks you how they look, right? if someone's talking to you and they say, are you listening to me? I encourage lying in that one if you weren't listening. The problem is they can call you out on it because they can ask you what they said, and then you're in trouble if you don't know. But, uh, but obviously a lot of those are superficial and those aren't as big of a deal, but there are lies that are much more damaging in our life that can completely take away the freedom that God has designed for us to have. And they can be very, very detrimental in our life. In fact, they're not, they're not only can they take our freedom, lies are designed to take our freedom. Not the lies we speak so much, but the lies that we believe. And so I want to I want to encourage you. I pray that today, by the time I'm done here, that you will be uh, encouraged, challenged, and even 
freer in the area of the lies that have been spoken to you and the lies you believed in your life. What we believe and what we don't believe determines our pursuit in every area of our life, right? What you believe determines who you will date or marry. It determines your career path in many ways. But more important than all of that, it determines your pursuit of God. What you believe and what you don't believe about God determines how you pursue him and in what way you pursue him. In, in other words, what we believe affects what we do. And it has everything to do with living free. If we are really gonna live free, we have to recognize the lies in our life, understand them, and reject them. And this may sound like it's elementary, right? We all know that lies aren't good. You learn that at a very young age. And if you've been in the faith for a long time, you know that lies are a thing in faith and that they're not good. Yet we are still very susceptible to lies in our life because it's not always as overt as we think it is. Many times it's covert in our life and we need to recognize it. But I will say the number one hindrance to your freedom in your life is a lie that you have believed. Whatever you are, wherever you are in your life where you would say, well, I'm not really free. I don't feel like I have a lot of freedom in this area in my life. Chances are it is because you have believed a lie about the character of God in that area or about something about yourself. That is what takes our freedom in our life. And the worst bondage we can be in in life, the worst lie that we can believe in our life is to believe the lie that we don't need Jesus. Hopefully that's not most of us here today or listening online either, that we, don't, we haven't believed the lie that we don't need Jesus because that's the one that will actually determine our eternity. Right? Because if we, if we think we don't need Jesus, that means we reject what he did for us and we reject giving our life to him and we are destined at that point, we're on a path to have an eternal separation from God. So hopefully we're not believing that one, but we can believe all kinds of lies that can put us in bondage. You could, when it comes to fear, if, if fear is a bondage that you feel like you have to deal with in your life, it's because you believe the lie that you can't overcome it. It's, or you believe the lie that, that God can't help you to overcome it or you're powerless against it. The things that keep us in bondage are the things that we believe the lie. And we're tempted to believe the lies in our life, often because the truth is scarier than the lie. A lot of times the lie is the easier one. It's the easier thing to believe. Because oftentimes the truth requires a response on our part. It's easier to believe I don't need Jesus, because if I don't need Jesus, I don't have to give my life to him. I can just do what I want, I can be selfish. It's easier if I believe that lie. It's easier to believe that I can't beat fear because if I believe I can, and with God's help, that means I have to confront it. When it's really easier just to say, you know what, that's just my cross to bear. I'm just gonna have fear in my life and I'm just gonna have to deal with it. Whatever that thing is that can hold you down in your life, you believed a lie somewhere along the way. And the reason for this is because there's a battle going on inside of you. If you were here a couple weeks ago, Pastor Unique was here and he preached and he shared about the civil war that goes on inside each and every one of us as a believer. You have you have the sin nature that's in each and every one of us. Now that sin nature is defeated because of what Jesus did, but it's still active. And it still has power that we give it in our life, right? So you have that sin nature that's drawing you away, drawing you towards the lies. But then you also have, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the Spirit of God living in you. The Bible's clear that if we give our life to Jesus and we become a disciple of Jesus, that the Spirit of God resides in us. And Jesus tells us about it and what the Spirit of God is meant to do in us when he talked in John 16. Let me share these two verses with you out of John 16, 13 and 14. It says, but when he, the Spirit of truth comes, that's the Holy Spirit, he's referring to him as the Spirit of truth, 
He says, he will guide you into all truth. So he is truth and he will guide you to the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. So we got this civil war going on. We have the sin nature here, but we also have the, the spirit of truth. In fact, the Greek translation of spirit of truth there that Jesus says more literally is the spirit of the truth, which I think is interesting because a couple chapters earlier, Jesus tells us that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And so Jesus is actually saying that the Holy Spirit's job is going to be to guide us to Jesus. So if you, if you are a Christian and you have the spirit of God in you, you can know that if something if, if the Holy Spirit is doing something in your life, he is always, always directing you to Jesus. That's his job. Jesus said he's not gonna glorify himself, he's gonna bring glory to me. The, the, the main job of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus on this earth through his people. So his job is to lead us to truth and to bring glory to Jesus. So because there's a civil war going on, this is something we need to know, we need to understand, church. Listen to me here. In your, your flesh would rather believe the lies about God than the truth. Your flesh would rather believe the lies about God. And you might think, well, that doesn't make sense. I'm a, I'm a good person. I'm a good, there, there's, being a good person has nothing to do with whether or not you're being led by God. There's good people all over the earth that have nothing to do with Jesus. It's not about being a good person. I'm telling you, the only force in all the universe that is wanting you to believe the truth about God is the Spirit of God himself. He is the one that leads us to all truth, the Bible is telling us here. It's interesting because when, I think so often, we miss this very simple truth in our life to understand that in my sin nature, I actually don't want to believe the truth of God. I'd rather believe the, the lies because so often that is so much easier in my life. And it's funny because, you know, the story, the parable Jesus gives of the man that has a hundred sheep and one of the sheep ventures off, right? And he says, what's the, the shepherd's going to leave the 99 and go get that one sheep, right? Most of you know that's that parable. It's referring to the shepherd going and getting that lost sheep. And we read that or we hear that and it's easy for us to think if you've been saved a long time to think, man, praise God that he goes and gets that one sheep, you know, but more, praise God more that I'm one of the 99. Can I tell you today, we're the one more often than we know. You are that one that wanders off more often than you know. The words of the writer of the hymn was true when he said our hearts are prone to wander. We are prone to wander off because of the sin nature that's in us because we believe the lies that are perpetuated in this world. Now, I'm not sitting here saying that we're prone to like lose our salvation, okay? This is not about losing your salvation. This is about losing community, communication and communion with God. And we do it all the time. When, our, when the sin in our life leads us astray, it, it can take us out of communion with God in our life. I mean, not everything in the scripture is just about salvation. There's also about what it looks like to live in this life of salvation, right? The writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 says that we are to throw off the sin that easily entangles us. The sin that easily entangles Christians, okay? That's about the one wandering off 
Okay, I, that, that verse where he says easily entangles is so powerful because even as somebody that loves Jesus, there are sins that are easy for me not to just commit, but to even get entangled in. How many of you know when you're entangled in something, it's a lot worse than just dabbling in it? There's those sins that easily entangle us and we're led to those things by the lies that we believe because we haven't allowed the spirit of truth to lead us to the truth. We're allowing the other side to have its way because we know that there is obviously the spirit of truth. There's, there's the, the fact that God is who he says he is in our life. But in contrast to that, there's also a father of lies. The Bible's clear. Many of you know what, what John 8 says about your enemy, Satan, being the father of lies. In fact, I'm gonna read it out of John 8 in verse 43 and 44. This is Jesus rebuking the Jews. He says, why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is not truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. I wish Jesus would just say what he means there, right? <laughs> he doesn't pull any punches talking about the enemy of our souls because that's exactly who he is. There's no truth in him. He does not hold to the truth. And when he speaks lies, he's speaking his native language. The, uh, the, the design that the enemy of your soul has for you, the reason he created lies, and I know we say Satan doesn't create, he just distorts, but by distorting truth, he's actually creating lies. The reason he does it is to keep you in bondage and to keep you from living free. That's his goal for you, is to keep us from being living in the freedom that he wants us, that God wants us to have. And here's the thing, church, he's really, really good at it. He's good at lying. Any lies that we believe originate from him, especially when it's talking about who God is, who, how God sees us, God's character, the holiness of God, all of those things, any lies we believe are coming from him. And he's really good at lying to us. You know, when, if you have children, when your children are little, it's really easy to interrogate them, isn't it? You know, when our three kids were small, if somebody spilled some juice in the carpet, all we'd have to do is sit them down and say, who did it? And you knew right away. Because the kid that did it couldn't look you in the eye. You know, like, I don't know, wasn't me. You know, you can pick them out, no problem. But as they get older, they get a lot better at lying. And you gotta be a little more diligent to figure out who is actually telling the truth and who's lying, right? Because the more you do it, the better you get at it. Well, Satan's been doing it for a long, long, long time. And he's really, really good at convincing us that a lot of the lies that we have in our head are actually truth. And that they're from somewhere else. Because the enemy will do it in such a way that it's not easy to recognize, right? It says he speaks, it's his native language to speak lies. English is my native tongue, okay? What I know about a native tongue is that I don't have to think about it before I say it, right? I don't have to try to figure out how to structure my sentences. I don't have to worry about how I'm conjugating my verbs. Usually, sometimes I mess that up, but uh, when I lived in a French-speaking country for a year and I learned a lot of French and I would have to think hard through every sentence like, Ooh, I don't want to sound like I don't know what I'm saying, you know? So I would make sure I conjugated the verb right and put everything where it needed to be in the prepositions and the adverbs, and the adjectives, and I had to really think hard about what I was saying. And oftentimes I still got it wrong and people just laugh at me. But when it's English, I pretty much got that down, right? Because it's my native tongue. Jesus says that Satan's native tongue is lying. 
And he's so good at it, he'll make it to where we can't or we don't recognize it. You know, I think it's funny that we talk about Satan as being like this, you know, this red guy with horns and a pointed tail and a pitchfork. He doesn't come at us like that because we'd recognize it right away, right? He, and his voice isn't like this evil, shrill voice. He's not Gollum from Lord of the Rings, right? In fact, the voice of the enemy of your soul, you know what it usually sounds like? It sounds like a good friend of yours or it sounds like a parent or a spouse sometimes or a leader in your life, an employer, a boss. Most of the time though, the voice of the enemy sounds like your voice. It's that voice in your head that you think that came from me so it must be true because I love me. So if I'm saying it to myself, it must be true. And it's, that's why it is so important that we know even what the word of God says about our heart. The Bible says that the heart is deceitful and wicked above all else. It is beyond cure. So we need to even recognize that we can't even, just because the voice is in our head and it sounds like us, doesn't mean it's good. He's very, very good at disguising his voice. And the reason it's, it's like shooting fish in a barrel for the enemy sometimes. Because we are prone to wander. We're prone to be the one more often than we realize it instead of the 99. And you might think this sounds elementary, but I, I, I know that it's something that we all deal with. It's something that the, the lies are real. And so what does that look like in your life? What are the lies that you are believing in your life that you don't have to believe? You're not a victim to the lies that come at you in your life. So I said, I'm going to give you the truth about lies today. And I want to give you a couple truths about the lies. And the first one is that lies masquerade as truth. Pretty simple, right? If lies didn't look like truth, we wouldn't believe them. The only lies we believe are the ones that seem like they could be true. Kind of piggybacking on the idea that the enemy is good at what he does. See, I'm a firm believer that most people do not reject God because of the truth of who God is. They reject God and his ways because of the lies about who he is. Because when we understand the truth, Jesus said the truth will set us free. Everybody wants to be free. But we have these lies that we have believed about God, about his character, about who he is, about how he sees us, about how he relates to us and what his heart is. And we believe those lies and it affects how we pursue God in our life. Because the lies masquerade as truth. For instance, you might have had a situation where you've needed God to intervene in your life and he didn't do it the way you wanted him to do it. Whatever it was, it didn't come to pass the way that you had hoped it would come to pass. So it's easy to start to believe the lie that God isn't who he says he is, that maybe he's not all powerful. Maybe he doesn't really care about me and my situation. Maybe it's just that maybe he's just not even that good. It's so easy to believe the lies because they masquerade as truth. Second Corinthians chapter 11. Let's look at what the apostle Paul says here. He says, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness. So the enemy himself masquerades as an angel of light. That word masquerade just means pretends. He pretends to be an angel of light. So here's the thing. We think we're so smart sometimes, like, oh, I can recognize if the enemy's coming at me. It says he's an, he masquerades as an angel of light. Don't you think he's pretty good at pretending that he can do that? Now, this is not some folklore. This isn't about where people have seen, you know, that 
that they saw the devil, they saw him in human form, you know, and how he was masquerading and trying to convince them of something. This is not just like looking at the past and looking at how the enemy used to perform. This is for today. He masquerades as an angel of light in your life today. That's how he does it. He doesn't come with a pitchfork and a pointed tail. He comes looking like the good guy. That's what he does. And oftentimes we don't realize it's him until it's too late. Until we're looking at it in hindsight and going, man, that was the enemy. And I totally believed it. I totally bought it. I bought his lie. He masquerades as an angel of light. That is why we cannot believe everything that we think may even sound good because he is so good at just twisting. Jesus said there's no truth in him. The truth of the matter is that he actually takes a little bit of truth and he twists it, which I feel like I say it all the time, but it's why it's just so important that we know the word. If you don't know the word, you can be led astray so easily. He can twist some word of God, something out of the word of God and, and make you feel like you know what you're talking about when the reality is you're setting yourself up for trouble. The most effective lies have a little bit of truth. You know, Pastor Bowen used to say all the time that you never, saw, you never see counterfeit $3 bills, right? You never see those. Why? Because it would be obvious that it's fake. You see counterfeits of 20s and 50s and 100s because there's just a little bit of truth in it. There's just enough there to make us believe that it could be real. The hardest lies to recognize are the ones that have a little bit of truth in them. As I was preparing this this week, I was reminded of, of Jericho and, and how uh, in Numbers 13, when Moses, he sent the 12 spies into Canaan, right, to, to spy out the land. God had promised them this land, but they weren't in there yet. And Moses said, hey, go look at it. Bring some recon back to us so we can understand what we're up against when we go in there. And the spies went out and they saw everything and they came back and they reported. And most of you know what happened. Ten of them were terrified. Only two of them said, we can actually do what God said we can do. And what they did was they mixed a little bit of truth with the lie. They said, oh, the people in the land are huge. That was true. The cities are fortified with big walls. That was true. They're more powerful than us. That was true. There's no way we can do it. There was the lie. Yet they believed the lie because he mixed it in with a little bit of truth. And that's, those are the most effective lies that happen in our life is where there's a little bit of truth into the lie. One of the biggest masquerading lies that cause people to reject God is this idea that God should do what I want, when I want, and how I want. Somebody coined the phrase one time, an on-demand God, which, you know, 30 years ago, would, nobody would have known what that meant. <laughs> but today, everybody knows what it means, right? In fact, I read this week, for the first time in history, on-demand streaming had more views than regular television and cable TV. So officially now, on-demand is king where we could just stream whenever we want, how we want, when we want, and people love it because I can, I can watch what I want. I don't have to worry about commercials. I can kind of do my thing, and I don't have to worry about the restrictions that watching regular TV has, right? On demand is a big, big deal. It's taken over. It's taken over the world. And you know what? When it comes to television, that's fine. But when it seeps into our life and our faith, that's when it becomes an issue. We think, well, God should be more powerful and bigger than 5G. <laughs> Why am I having to wait? Why is he not doing what I want him to do? We take, we take the lie. The lie masquerades as truth because there's a little bit of truth to it. Well, God said, if I believe, he's going to do it, right? So it should be done in my time. 
And so, and because we have to wait, we start to believe more and more of the lies. But here's the thing, waiting for God, it is one of the most important disciplines in our faith. I say it again, waiting for God is one of the most important disciplines in your faith. If you look at the word of God, if you know your Bible and you read the Old Testament, the New Testament, you will be hard pressed to find a story where there is not waiting. It is everywhere. Abraham waited for a child. Moses waited. The children of Israel in the desert waited. Uh, Joshua waited. David was anointed king and had to wait. I mean, just on and on and on and on and on all the way through. New Testament, Old Testament, it's everywhere. Everybody had to wait. And why does God do that? Is he just, just mean to us? No, because there is, there is something that happens in the waiting that actually grows our faith, that actually is better for us than if we get everything on demand. How many of you have noticed, like even when you watch TV now, if you actually have to watch a commercial, you get a little annoyed? I noticed that last week one day. I was watching something, and, I, and it was an on-demand thing, but I couldn't fast-forward the commercials. And just a, just a tinge of annoyance. I was like, my gosh, what is happening to me? <laughs> I can't believe this. And I, you guys are laughing because you know it too. You guys are worse than me. I know you are. <laughs> but we don't like to wait, but there's something good about having to wait for the fruition of things that we want. And God is, is high above all of us and knows way more than we do. And so there's some, we'll take a little bit of truth out of the, out of the word and we'll, we'll twist it in such a way that when we have to wait on God, we start to believe the lies because we don't want to have to wait. Truth out of context is a lie. Truth out of context is a lie. A lie. Do you know when Satan was tempting Jesus, trying to tempt Jesus in the wilderness, he took him up to the top of the temple and he said, throw yourself down. He said, the scriptures say that the angels will not, will lift you up in their hands. They will not let you strike your foot against a stone, right? He quoted scripture, but he was lying because there's no truth in him. So you can quote scripture and it'd be a lie because truth out of context is a lie. We have to understand the context of where this truth is coming from and apply it correctly because the, truth, the lies want to masquerade as the truth in our life. All right, the second truth about lies is that lies convince us that truth is about feelings. Oh, those blasted feelings that we have. You know, we know enough to know that truth and feelings are typically not on the same page, but we're still very, very susceptible to allowing our feelings to determine what we know truth to be. Feelings are a very powerful force and feelings will steal your freedom than any sin ever could. Don't believe me? I know it's true. The thing about sin is that when we commit a sin, right? If you're walking with Jesus and you're, you're in fellowship with him and you're living for him and you commit a sin, the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes into your life, right? And you can repent. We know when we mess up. For the most part, I know when I mess up and I get that conviction and I ask God to forgive me. The thing about feelings that makes it more dangerous even than sin is that when we feel it and we believe it, we think we're right. So it can steal your freedom even more than sin can in your life. That's how dangerous our feelings are if we're not careful. And some of us have figured this out, but I know many of us haven't because I've seen the statistics and there is an epidemic in the church. They're calling it 
deconstruction. People are deconstructing their faith. People are tearing down their faith to try to figure out why they believe what they believe. And people are leaving the church in droves. In fact, we're going to be talking a little bit about deconstruction over the next month. But you're seeing it. And what's happening is that people are not feeling their faith. Like, yeah, my parents had this faith, but I just don't really feel it. And so they tear it all down and, and many end up walking away from faith because they don't feel it. Or they're changing what the word of God says to meet what they feel. Well, I know the Bible says this, but I mean, I really feel like this is what God would really want because this is what makes sense to me. This is how I feel. So this is actually what I'm going to believe. And we reject the word of God or we twist it or we completely get rid of it based on how we feel about a situation, about a, a construct in our society, right? So we deconstruct our faith in such a way that allows our feelings to determine our theology, which is a very, very scary place to be in our faith. We want to feel the things of God. But when, and when we don't feel them, we're much more likely to be victimized by our feelings, whatever those feelings are in the moment. It's why so many people look for an emotional experience, even in church. You know, I, I've, I, I talk a lot about the, the articles I read, the stuff I read about church work. Obviously, that's my life, so I, I try to follow it pretty closely and see what the trends are and where things are going. Not necessarily so we can conform to those things, but just, just to see what's going on and being in tune with what's going on in the church in the United States and around the world. And what, I, what we're seeing is that the churches that are growing, a lot of them, they're having much more of an emotional experience in their churches. They're not, they're not so, so structured and so strict, but they're actually allowing people to, to have an emotional experience and an attachment to God. And that's actually a very, very good thing. I think we all chase that emotional experience with God, right? I love it when I get emotional in my faith. I love it when I'm singing a song to the Lord, and next thing I know, I got tears in my eyes because I'm meditating on who he is, and it's just really stirring my heart. That's a beautiful thing. Emotions get a say in our faith. They just don't get the final say. Okay, because your emotions will lie to you just as much as they will help, right? Yesterday, I had a couple tough situations that came into my life that were incredibly superficial, so not even anything worth sharing, but nevertheless, my emotions yesterday were telling me things that I know weren't true, and I didn't give those emotions the final say. Um, they just had a little say for about 10 minutes, and then I told them to shut up, <laughs> but they'll do that, right? Because that's exactly what they're designed to do in this fallen world. Real belief is actually proven by our actions, not by what we feel. Our actions prove what we believe. And here's the beauty, is that when we allow, when we act on what we believe, what we say we have faith in, and we actually act on that, that actually grows your faith. It actually grows, your, your emotions start to connect and attach to that faith because you've actually acted upon your faith. Because faith begets faith. That's the design of it. So if your faith isn't growing, maybe you're not acting on that faith enough. Maybe you're sitting back asking God to do something, waiting for him with your arms crossed, when really you should be stepping out like he's asking you to do in your faith. And, and your feelings will catch up a lot of times. I think about Abraham. And you know, God told Abraham, hey, you're gonna have a child and you're gonna be the father of a nation and your descendants are going to be greater than the sand on the seashore. It's going to be incredible. And Abraham finally has a child, names him Isaac, and God comes to him and says, I want you to sacrifice your son. And Abraham obeyed him. He, he obeyed him in faith. He took him up Mount Moriah and was prepared to sacrifice his own son. 
I can promise you, being a dad, I can promise you that Abraham was not feeling it. That was not something he wanted to do. But his faith led him to do even what he didn't feel he wanted to do. And God met him in that place. And most of you know that story. In fact, James refers to it in James 2. He talks about it. Verse 18, he says, Someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. Not by what I feel, what I do. You believe that there's one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith, what he believed, and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did, not what he felt. That last line there is huge, church. His faith was made complete by what he did. That word complete there means to, it was sealed, it was solidified, it was encouraged, which means it was also growing. His faith was growing because of what he did. Not because of what he wanted or what he felt, but because of what he actually did. Don't believe the lie that just because you feel it, it must be true. Or if I don't feel it, it must not be true. Because we are humans and we're going to have feelings that are all over the place on a pretty consistent basis in our life. And one of the biggest lies that comes with feelings is that, well, if I really believe something, I shouldn't have any doubt, right? Can I tell you, belief is not the absence of doubt. In fact, I love what Oswald Chambers said about doubt. He said that doubt is not always a sign that man is wrong. It may just be a sign that he's thinking. <laughs> like that's all you need is to be awake to be able to have doubt in your life. And I love it because one of the greatest proofs of our faith is to live out our faith and walk out our faith even when doubt is screaming, don't do it. That's a great proof of your faith, church. If somebody tells you that they never doubt and they just walk on this journey with Jesus hand in hand and it's all rainbows and, and cotton candy, they're lying to you. Don't believe that lie either because it's okay for us to walk and, and continue to walk out our faith even when doubt is creeping in. It's a lie to think that our feelings are the truth. All right, and the third and finally, they feed on our insecurities. Lies feed on your insecurities. That's probably not revelation for any of us, but when we look at it in the context of our faith, it is so important that we understand this. I mentioned earlier that the lie can be easier than the truth sometimes, because the truth can be scary, and the lie is oftentimes safer. In the moment, on the surface, it's safer for us, right? It's funny because I am, I'm amused, genuinely amused when I hear people say, oh, Christians, you guys just have to be a Christian. You just have to believe in something bigger than yourself because you're just so weak because you just need something, some celestial being to help get you through the hard times in life. And so it's just the easy way out. It's the cop out to actually believe in God. I am so amused by that because that just proves ignorance. It proves that you have no idea what being a Christian really is. Because being a Christian isn't, about, isn't a cop-out at all. Being a Christian and walking this life of faith and living a life where you're committed to trusting Jesus is actually pretty stinking tough. It is a challenge 
to really take up my cross, to really follow him, the fact that I can't live my life the way I want to live it anymore. I can't make my own decisions. I'm not allowed to be selfish. I don't get to choose who I forgive. I don't get to choose what I do with all of my money. I don't get to choose what I, where I work. I don't get to choose what I'm doing with my day. I actually have to submit it and surrender it to him and to his lordship and for his glory. And I got to live for him and for his kingdom, the one that I can't even see. That's easier. Holy cow, I'd like to know the person that says that's easy. Come and disciple me, please. <laughs> because I haven't figured it out yet, it being easy. It is a challenge to live this life of faith. It is, you're going against your flesh nature every day. You're, you're crucifying the flesh all the time to really live for Jesus. Praise God, let's live for Jesus, amen? So we go back to the story of Jericho. It, the truth in that story, if it was true, that was actually scary because the truth in that story was that the people were huge, the walls were fortified, they were powerful people, but the truth was that God was saying you could take the land. That's scary because that meant they were gonna have to actually go and confront them. So what that means is that whatever our insecurities are in our life, that's the place that the enemy's got a target on your back. That's where the enemy's going to try to Spread the lies in your life, right? He knows your insecurities, guys. He knows all of them. And that's where he's gonna come at you. He doesn't come at you in the places you're really secure, right? If you feel like you're unlovable, like maybe you've made a lot of mistakes or you just, you've been told enough that you're not worthy of love and you, you've had enough lies spoken over you that you believe it. If you believe that you're unlovable, that's where the enemy comes in and says, God can't love you. You're not a child of God. There's no way he would love you. He's awesome, you're nothing. That's where he's going to attack you. See, now the, Lord doesn't, or the enemy doesn't do that to me because I am 100% secure in the idea and the fact that Jesus loves me and died for me. I'm very secure in it because I know it's not about me. I know it's about him. I've, I've had the revelation of who he is and what he's done for me. So that's not where the enemy will come at me. He'll come at me with my area of insecurity, right? Like if I'm a little insecure sometimes about leadership. I think every leader's probably got a little bit of insecurity about whether or not they're doing a good job of leading, right? So that's where the enemy will come at me. Oh, you're not a good leader. You don't know what you're doing. You're too naive, right? You're, you're too something. You don't have enough to be able to really lead. And so that's where the lies can come into my life. And if I'm not careful, I can believe those lies. And I can allow them to affect even how I lead if I'm not careful. Because he always is going to come at our insecurities and try to exploit them and make them a bigger deal than they really have to be in our life. But can I tell you today, I'm to the point in my life when the enemy lies to me about something, I actually agree with him. When he says, you know what, you're not good enough to lead, I say, yeah, you know, you're, you're right. I'm not. But thank God I'm not doing it on my own. The calling in my life is not being fulfilled by my own strength and by my own energy. The calling in my life is fulfilled because of the word of God and because him in me. So when the enemy tells me a lie, I actually thank him for reminding me. Hey, thanks for reminding me, enemy, that I'm not a very good leader. Now I can know that I need to trust God even more. It doesn't mean I sit back and do nothing, but we can even allow the lies of the enemy to cause us to put our faith in Jesus even more. That's what, that's, what, that's what the Lord would want for us, that those lies would be exposed and that we would have freedom from those lies by actually allowing those lies to steer us more to him. When we doubt, don't let that doubt push you away from God because you feel bad that you doubt him. Let it draw you to him. To say, God, I, I have all kinds of doubts about my faith. I have doubts about who you are and what you're going to do. But Lord, I'm trusting you and I'm going to continue to step out in my faith and I'm going to walk this faith out because I'm not going to allow my doubt 
to keep me from you. I'm going to allow those things to actually draw me closer to you. And that glorifies him and it helps you. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. The truth of the matter is that he loves you and his plan for you is good. You know, the enemy has a plan for you. It's to destroy you. It's to kill. It's to steal, to kill, and ultimately destroy you. But the Lord's plan for you is good. Let me just finish with this. So a lot of you know the verse from Jeremiah 29, 11, right? Beautiful verse. It's a bumper sticker verse. It's one you, you laminate. I have it framed and hanging on the wall in my office. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. The Lord's plans for you are good. And anything that says any different than that is a lie. Okay? But now here's the kicker. The reason I love this verse and the reason I keep this verse in front of me is because I love the context. Remember how I said truth taken out of context is a lie? The context of this verse is that the children of Israel were, were in captivity in Babylon at this time. They were literally removed from Israel. The king of Babylon came in and conquered them, took them to Babylon, and made them serve him. The whole country, they were living there. And the word of God came through Jeremiah at that time and said, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. He told them this while they were in captivity. So this verse doesn't mean that everything in my life is always going to go perfect. God's plans for me are good. He's going to prosper me and give me hope and a future. And if I take this out of context and believe it out of context, and then something not good happens in my life, oh, God must not be true. The Bible must be wrong. God's dead. God's, he's, he's, asleep on the, he's asleep at the wheel. He's not, he's not into this. When the reality is, this was actually written in the time of captivity, and he tells them, he says, I want you to marry off your kids. I want you to plant gardens. I want you to build houses. I want you to prosper while you're in this place of Babylon, and eventually I'm going to bring you back over here to Israel, to your promised land, but even while you're here, my plans are good. I'm going to prosper you. I'm going to give you hope. I'm going to give you a future. Even while maybe not everything's perfect in your life, you can trust him. You can know that his plans are good. And when we, when we know that he's good, when the lies come in and say he's not good or nothing good is ever going to happen, or if he really loved you, you wouldn't have to be in this situation another week, you can recognize that lie and say, that's a lie. And I'm going to stand on the truth of God's word and who he is, because he is worthy of it. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? Thank God. So. What is a promise? What is a promise that God has given you that you've had a hard time believing? Or what is a lie that the enemy has perpetuated that you have a hard time not believing? I want to pray for us today. I believe, I believe that God can set us free from those lies today, right now, right here. Right now and right here. Can I tell you guys today, the word of the Lord for you today, do not give up and do not give in. Hold the, the truth with a death grip. White knuckle the truth. Stand on the truth of who he is. And when it comes to the lies, some of those lies are hard to let go of. I'm telling you today, let go. Let go of the lie. Stop allowing the lie to have its way in your life. Stop believing the lie. Reject the lie. Reject it. You, some of you have believed the same lie for many, many years. Reject it. Today can be the day where you say, no more. I'm not believing it anymore. If you gotta find a, a passage of scripture that counters that lie, every time that lie comes into your head, that voice of yours that's actually the enemy, you quote the word. 
I'm pro- I tell you, you do that enough, the enemy will stop that lie. Because the enemy hates it when we quote God's word. I'd quote it out loud. When there's a lie that comes into my head, I will quote the word out loud because I want to make sure the, the spiritual forces of the, it, it, the, the enemy's forces and spiritual forces and principalities around me hear it. I want to make sure, I want them to know the word of God. I want them to hear it, that it is in my heart and I speak it and I declare it boldly in my life. So when those lies are perpetuated, you declare the word and you believe the word and you'll start to believe the truth and the lie will start to look like a lie and you'll feel dumb that you believe the lie for so long. That's the goal. Not to feel dumb, but to stop believing the lie. <laughs> Praise God. All right, so I want to pray for all of us today, okay? Let's, let's, just, let's just declare today that we are not going to believe the lie anymore. We're going to believe the truth. Let's pray. Father, thank you today because we know that your word is true. We know that you are who you say you are. We know that your spirit is in the earth. The spirit is guiding us into all truth, that you are the spirit of truth. And we thank you that for those of us that are followers of Jesus, that you reside in us and that you can discern, give us the discernment and the wisdom to recognize the lies in our life. So Lord, for those here today that have believed the lie, some of us for years, God, we today, we declare no more. We will not believe the lie anymore. We reject the lies that have been spoken over us in the name of Jesus. We release them. We will not hold on to them anymore. We will declare your truth. We thank you that it is your truth that sets us free. When we know the truth, it sets us free. And we thank you for it today. God, for those that have been believing a lie, maybe they didn't even realize they were believing it. Lord, would you reveal it to them today? Expose the lies in our life that we have allowed to have residence in our heads. Would you expose them, God, for what they are and help us, Lord, to kick them out and put them where they belong. We thank you today, Jesus, that you are the truth, that your truth is what frees us. The lies hold us captive. The truth sets us free. Lord, let the truth rule and reign in our hearts and in our minds and in our spirits today. For your glory, God, and for our good. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you that you love us so much. Thank you, Jesus. For anyone here today that does not know Jesus, can I tell you, I believe that the Lord brought you here because we pray for you. We pray that this place will have people in it every Sunday that do not know Jesus, that are far from God. And we're no better than you because we've all been far from God. The only difference is recognize those that have recognized their need for a savior, recognizing that we are sinners that we cannot be good enough on our own. There's nothing good in any of us when it comes to comparing ourselves to the, the almighty God. The only thing that gets us in right relationship with him is understanding that Jesus is the one that brought the propitiation for our sins, that he's the one that, that paid the price for our sins so that we can know him and be in relationship with God. So the Bible says when we repent of our sins, we turn away from our sins and we confess him as Lord of our life and give our life to him that we will be saved. He will come reside in us. You get your, his Holy Spirit in you immediately and you start the journey of salvation in your life. So don't leave today or if you're watching online, do not stop or, or don't, don't go another minute without giving your life and your heart to Jesus. He's the best decision you'll ever make. I was, I was telling the truth though, following him is difficult. It's not easy because your life's not your own anymore. It's not a quick prayer of saying, Jesus saved me and now I get to go to heaven and continue doing what I want. You live your life for him now. It's tough. That's why you need a community of believers. That's why we're here on Sundays. It's not just so we can have fun together. It's so we can serve God together and encourage each other in our faith consistently, constantly, all the time. 
So I pray for you too. Lord, I pray for anyone under the sound of my voice that does not know you. Lord, that you would touch their heart in such a way that they would give their life to you today. That they'd be able to trust you and know that you are who you say you are. You are who your word says you are and that you are worthy of our lives. You are worthy of everything that we are. We thank you for it today. And it's in Jesus' mighty and precious name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Hey, yes, praise God. Thank you, Lord. Woo! God is good. Amen, amen.